Hello and welcome back to Young Nostalgia. Nolan here beside me is Ben. Today we're coming at you with an exciting show that we uh, really look forward to putting together and bringing to you guys. It's all the influential moments of telebroadcasting, um, everything from 1950s up to around the early 2000s. And uh, this is all about the retro pop culture style and for the young at heart with a passion for the past. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and share on iTunes, Google Play. Find us on our Podbean page at youngnostalgia.podbean.com. If you have any ideas for any future shows, shoot us an email at youngnostalgia2017 at gmail.com. Check us out. We uh, also submitted our feed to Stitcher. Fingers crossed we'll be up and running pretty soon. Anyway, without further ado, Ben, how you doing, dude? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Nolan? Not too bad, big guy. So we're going to keep on going. So into the beginning of telebroadcasting back in 1951, President Harry Truman was speaking before a conference in San Francisco about the treaty that officially ended the country's um, post-war World War II occupation of Japan. The speech was broadcast across the nation with 87 stations, 47 cities picking up Truman's remarks via microwave technology of broadcasting the images out. So... The coolest thing about this is that it really brought to the table what radio couldn't. I mean, it, it, it united the living room in a way that people heard the voice but could see who was saying it. And appearance was really started to become everything um, about delivering a message. Right. And that... In addition to that, I mean, it was such a, a pivotal time. I mean, it was talking about the end of World War II. I mean, that was a huge war. Um, you know, it really affected everyone with the, the rationing and the uh, uh, all the, all the companies and the, the factories were, you know, all into the war effort. And then to have it all kind of culminated and wrapped up with uh, uh, Truman on television, um, you know... It, it kind of brings together, you know, two points to where he was, not only was he speaking on TV, but it was also about such a, a, a huge moment in, in history and, and with the war. Yeah, and I mean, we talk about this multiple times later in the episode, um, or at least a couple times for this episode. Um, oh yeah, I forgot to mention, this is going to be a two-parter episode um, for the influential moments in television. So we're this is part one. Next week, tune in for part two. Anyway, but... Um, Truman being on and declaring this country's post-World War II occupation of Japan really began a new series of how the political campaigning and the way political messages were addressed to the public. It brought in a whole new ballgame. Exactly. I mean, it kind of set the kind of set the stage for the future of uh, communication and, and politics combined. All right, dude, take it away. All right, so next one we got is the I, the episode of I Love Lucy where she's <laughs> work, her and Ethel are working in the candy factory. Um, this episode is in 1952. And kind of broader, um, b- before we get into that specific episode, I Love Lucy, was, it was kind of a, a big deal in the television history anyway. Um, it, had the, the, it was known for its three-camera setup that kind of became the norm, uh, you know, what you weren't limited to one or two viewpoints of a of a scene. You know, they could cut back and forth between three cameras, and uh, and that's of course in addition to the uh, the Isle of Lucy where they were her uh, Lucy and Ricky. That was one of the first times you saw really kind of the uh, the bedroom aspect in a show. Um, they 
if I'm not mistaken, I think that was the first show that was uh, you ever saw a single bed in the master bedroom. That was later on in the show. I remember seeing it both ways. I'm pretty sure, um, uh, which is in- interesting. But then, of course, we go into the Candy Factory episode where <laughs> <laughs> everyone really should know this. I mean, it's been spoofed a million times. And and if you don't know what it is, it's uh, Lucy and Ethel decide they're going to, you know, pick up uh, kind of a side job and they're working in a candy factory. They're basically, um, they're picking up chocolate uh, as it's going down a conveyor <laughs> belt and <laughs> it, it, they were told that it would steadily kind of ramp up into a comfortable pace and it basically ramped up to a million miles an hour instantly. <laughs> so they're <laughs> hiding the candy in their shirt and, you know, trying to stuff it under their hats and tr- eat it, you know, just to try to get all the candy off the off the line. And you see that so many times, whether it's cartoons or uh, comedy movies, anything like that. I mean, it's, it's such a well-known, uh, uh, such a well-known episode in basically TV history. Yeah, I know. And it, it kind of says here where, <clears throat> like, all the innovations of the shows... It kind of like hid the innovations of the shows based on the naked entertainment value of this show because <laughs> I can only imagine when they started filming this. Um, like, if if I was if I was the producer of this show and I came up with this episode, I would be like, okay, you're gonna be in a chocolate factory with a conveyor belt that's going and just try to get all this chocolate. I wouldn't even tell them that it's gonna speed up <laughs> and just get the, the raw energy of the whole scene right. of them trying to figure out what's happening. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it was oh such a, gosh. um, and, and the, the way that it's done, it, it's such a, a frenzied moment. I mean, just the look on their faces, look, it's just like a genuine surprise and it's really, really <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely check it out. Cause it's, it's one, it's one to remember. Um, <laughs> moving on, keeping to, uh, young nostalgia's roots a little bit, uh, talking about music, Elvis Presley on the Ed Sullivan show in 1956. I'm sure, um, you know, a few of our listeners, maybe the majority, I mean, everyone's heard of Elvis Presley, but, um, few really remember the controversy that surrounded him when it came to his style of music and the way that he performed and television was television was really one of his breakout moments because the way he performed was so against the norm so from like 1948 to 1971 nearly every television set in america was tuned in to the ed sullivan show this is like a band show right. um, and produced new acts to America. And you, you know, you made it if you're on the Ed Sullivan show. <laughs> so it was on CBS um, and gossip, gossip colonist turned TV personality Ed Sullivan presented famously um, eclectic mixture of performers in the summer of 1956. There was one act Sullivan wasn't going to book. And I um, quote, I don't think Elvis Presley is fit for family viewing. The big thing was, is that the way he moved his hips, it was so counterculture and people were shocked by that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was so uh, inappropriate for the time, you know, to be to have that on on national television. Yeah, and and continuing on, um, it says here that he uh, he appeared on the Steve Allen show, um, which was like a rock art um, rock art act. Excuse me, act appeared um, for like Sullivan's competition. So it's pretty much just the opposite kind of show. Um, and it marked rare ratings for the win for Steve Allen. And that caught Sullivan's eye. Um, and then Presley made his first appearance on the Ed Sullivan show on September 9th, which marked 60 million views tuned in, which 
is still marked as the largest audience um, to the point in television up to now. Um, by the by, his third appearance the following January, objections over Presley's lewd performing style led to the controversial edict um, that he only appear from the waist up, so we can't see his body moving um, any lower <laughs> than his waist. So that really just kind of pinpoints the way television brought a new visual to things. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting that you know uh, Ed Sullivan, you know, didn't want to book him, and then. Uh, you know, right after that, he was on the uh, Steve Allen show and, and the huge ratings that it had. I'm sure Ed Sullivan was, you know, kind of, it's just one of those things where hindsight's twenty twenty, and you're really kicking yourself for passing up that opportunity to be the first one, you know, to have him on the show. Yeah, I always find it extremely interesting. Um, I really enjoy watching The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> and then you always see those same acts on The Tonight Show on, like, The Late Show or... Um, you know what I mean with like yeah. Seth Meyers? Yep. He has the same acts like a day or two afterwards. <laughs> um, it, it's always interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, we can kind of continue on with the Ed Sullivan show a little bit. Um, and eight years later in 1964, um, this was uh, the first time the Beatles were on TV. They were on the Ed Sullivan show. Um, and it was the group's first live performance on American television. Um, and the, the, the views of that particular show uh destroyed presley's uh 60 million um and the beatles of course had 73 million views which is amazing that is 45 percent of american households with televisions were viewing that show which is amazing to think that's almost like yeah that's almost like the super bowl is now you know what i mean like ed sullivan and johnny carson those were the shows that were like the super bowl now Mm mm-hmm because those are the shows that brought people together for acts like Elvis and then now the Beatles, who were huge, mm-hmm. coming into America. These are the kind of things that people sat down in the living room to watch together. And it wasn't just one household watching you know, HGTV. They were all tuned in to Ed Sullivan right. when it was on. And shows like that at that time period, you know, we have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all these, sh- all these other... Um, windows into into the culture and media and back then that was really it was really kind of the same thing that's where you went to um to see this sort of thing and and you know you can't just you couldn't just get online whenever you wanted to and watch a music video or watch or uh news about your favorite band i mean you had to, to wait for it and then you had to be you know you couldn't even record it or anything you had to be tuned in at that time and that's how you got your information. You still had news channels and stuff for that sort of thing. But, you know, if you wanted to look into uh, any sort of, like, entertainment media or pop culture or anything like that, this, I mean, that's the kind of show you had to watch if you wanted to stay up to date. Yeah, and then, you know, talking about the windows to this sort of media, there was only, like, two big broadcasting companies, like CBS and NBC. Those are the ones that really brought the news and entertainment like mm-hmm. this back in the 50s and throughout the 60s as well. Right, and and <laughs> that that's that was an interesting point. I mean, this you know, not only were those the only way to you know get that sort of thing, but you know, it's not even like there was a million of them like we have now either. You know, and now you can choose from fifty different channels to get the same thing, basically. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's only the basic package from cable, though. Oh yeah. So you have to upgrade to to one hundred and twenty bucks a month if you want to get like HD and all <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Other good stuff. And you know, you get four thousand other <laughs> channels that you're never gonna watch. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, all right, <laughs> let's move on. We're kind of derailing a little bit from. Um, we we kind of get got a little bit big. So here's another one that I know we've talked about in um, er, later earlier episodes. Um, kind of touched on it. The Kennedy and Nixon debate of 1960, when we kind of talked about how um, television changed the way of political campaigning and the way that um, campaigns were brought to the public. This was huge. It was the first ever televised. Um, debate between Nixon and John F. Kennedy. Um, so the big thing was, you know, Nixon knew politics. He knew how to present himself, but he didn't fully grasp the important the importance of mere appearance when he met JFK on September 16th of 1960. Um, those who listened on the radio thought Nixon had won. Like, get this, Nixon presented better on the radio, but on television, <laughs> the poised, handsome, young, and well-rested Kennedy was the clear winner, which nowadays all we see is televised presidential debates. And that's kind of where we get our social cues and all that good stuff from, from our political candidates. Um, it says here that Nixon was tired from a long day of campaigning and wearing a suit that actually blended into the background <laughs> of the political debate. So pretty much Nixon was just a floating head with a tie. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, he was uh, um, he just he looked visually kind of shaken and nervous and he was uh, visibly <laughs> sweaty as well. And so, you know, and that that could totally I mean, he could totally have, you know, if you listen to what he was saying, you know, uh, better policies, better opinions. But, you know, once you're looking at something, that's a whole new um, venue of information, just their appearance, whether it's conscious or subconscious. And, you know, and you, it's nearly impossible not to kind of gravitate towards um, the opinion of a candidate that, you know, is uh, more presentable and looks more uh, comfortable up there and, and just looks like, looks more presidential more like what you would expect yeah and sometimes i almost even equate the way they look to how they perform within like the white house when situations become hot and heavy i mean the cold war was kicking off along with vietnam after like beforehand um and kennedy was like sorry vietnam war afterwards but like kennedy was right in the middle of it you know what i mean the way he was just poised and everything with um the televised debate might have helped something like that oh yeah definitely i mean you're you're gonna you're gonna you're looking towards someone who's you know calm cool and collected and looks like they can handle a situation rather than someone who looks kind of disheveled in a nervous wreck yeah so all right your turn so on november 22nd 1963 uh walter cronkite was the anchor um when was the anchor that broke the news that president john f kennedy uh, was assassinated in, was assassinated excuse me in Dallas Texas um, CBS interrupted um, as the world turns for Cronkite's announcement um, and that uh, three shots have been fired at the Kennedy motorcade um, and then roughly an hour later uh, Cronkite then appeared to deliver the actual news um, and quote from Dallas Texas a flash apparently official <laughs> excuse me i butchered that holy cow from dallas texas a flash apparent official president kennedy died at 1 p.m central standard time two o'clock eastern standard time some 38 minutes ago um and that's got to be huge i mean 
you know, it's not something you might read in the newspaper later that night that, holy cow, you know, this just happened. I mean, that was a half an hour ago. You know, you're just learning, you're, you're learning about this, and it's basically as live as you can get on TV. I mean, I can't imagine uh, watching that as something as uh, tragic as a president being assassinated. Um, and, you know, even no matter what your opinions of a president are, I mean, that's still the president of the United States, the leader of the free world, um, you know, was just assassinated. And, and that's got to be um, some tremendous news to be, you know, seeing on TV for the, you know, the first time seeing any sort of news like that on television. Yeah, I always think of this moment as, as the moment that, you know, you and I and some of our listeners might relate to of 9-11, where you hear that news and you knew exactly where you were at that exact time of day. And you'll never oh, forget it. Oh, I'm sure. It. I'm sure the, the, you know, the people who saw that, I'm, I'm sure that's one of the things that they remember forever. And I still remember my mom when I was younger. She'd tell me the story of when she heard this news play on TV. She would, um, she saw it. And she remembers Walter Cronkite coming on the TV. And before he says anything, his glasses come off and his voice starts getting shaky. And he delivers the news, which was huge because, you know, anchors usually were poised and trained not to show any emotion on television. But to see Walter Cronkite, a big name and figure in public radio and um, television, see, see him break down like that um, was, was something totally unseen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's something I, I wasn't even I wasn't even thinking about. Just looking at you know, being able to not only get the information, but you're you're looking at the the reactions and the emotions of the reporter as well. All right, so um, one heavy hitter after another one. <laughs> Walter Cronkite <laughs> um, denounced the Vietnam War in 1968. Still a big prominent name um, in television, and actually. Um, Vietnam was the first television war, quote-unquote, with 16-millimeter news cameras bringing back footage of the troops on the ground and bloodshed within the field. And I know we've kind of touched about this um, in, in earlier episodes with, I think, this month in history, but Vietnam was such an influential war in that it really brought um, the soldier's life and the way war was in Vietnam into the homes of Americans, and it really changed the tide of how America felt about the war. Right, and... And, and previously there had been war footage and and that was brought home but it, it it was different it was you know World War II it had the the footage the war news that was played before um, movies in the movie theater and it was all really really pro war effort it was getting everyone on the bandwagon getting everyone supportive of the cause and um, and you know I mean it was it was done that way for a reason because you, you had to have the backing of the people I mean it was such an influential war that you know, it needed everyone. Well, Vietnam, it wasn't so much um, produced uh, war news. It was just straight footage of people being able to see the hell that war is. Yeah, and going off of that, Walter Cronkite at this time was known as the, quote, most trusted man in America. Uh, and in the in the beginning, he was a supporter of the occupation and the war in Vietnam, um, especially going to Saigon and visiting both high-ranking generals and troops on the front line um, to put the America's foothold on the stop of communism in Vietnam. He didn't make a practice of voicing political opinion, but after the 1968 Tet Offensive, he chose to speak out. At the conclusion of a February 27 special on Tet, 
Cronkite um, gave an editorial in which he stated, I'm more certain than ever that the bloody experience of Vietnam is to end in a stalemate. Goes there, goes from there that President Lyndon B. Johnson reportedly turned off his set at the conclusion of the broadcast and said, quote, if I've lost Cronkite, I've lost middle America. Now that's, that's just something to behold, like, man. Yeah, and, and you know, it's more or less true. I mean, that's, you know, it's kind of one of the reasons why there was so much uh, opposition and there was, there was a, uh, uh, you know, there, there wasn't the support behind the Vietnam War that there had been um, for, for previous wars. And, and that's, that's a huge factor in that uh, you have someone prominent like this um, that everyone is used to getting their news from, everyone is used to trusting. And, you know, if they if they aren't behind this, then, you know, why should they be? Why should you, the public, be behind it? Yeah, and really just, you know, this kind of coverage and the way Walter Cronkite kind of addressed the change of the Vietnam War really kind of influenced the way future wars are covered and influenced by the American public. Right, and... All right, dude. And... And that kind of, you, you kind of get that later on. I mean, that kind of sets the president. I mean, there, there's so much, you know, it goes both ways. There's so much opinion um, on the news and it all, it kind of, you know, somewhat stems back, um, stems back to this time with Walter Cronkite. And, uh, and, you know, you can't watch any news now, even on little local channels. I mean, there's there's a lot of opinion that's, you know, purposely or, you know, uh unconsciously you know it's just it, it's it's reported that way and you know it's it's uh you, you know it's it, it's good and bad i mean you, you it depends on what you're looking for in your news channel but it also you know sometimes you need the straight news and you can't really have you have to let the people make their own decisions yep exactly all uh, right man take the next couple yep so let's move on uh, a year later um in 1969 we have the apollo 11 moon landing um, so television often can unite us in moments of tragedy and the space program is no exception. Um, the, that's kind of goes along the, the space race and, and anything space ex- exploratory, um, has always been huge on television. People cram around the TVs to see the moon landing or even the later stuff with the space shuttles. Um, and that includes the explosion of the, the Challenger in 1986 and the Columbia in 2003. But, tele- but television captured the most astounding uh, you know, piece of space travel ever, and that is, of course, the landing on the moon. Um, uh the, on July <laughs> on July twentieth, nineteen sixty nine, networks covered the event for thirty hours straight. And Walter Cronkite again, um, you know, was I- involved with the coverage of that. And this is such a huge thing to be on TV. And you know, in, in my opinion, we look at all of these, both good and tragic things that were caught on TV. And this is one of the biggest. I mean, the first time someone has stepped foot on a celestial body that is not our own and it was caught and broadcast on live tv which is just absolutely amazing and that i mean that would have been i've seen the footage over and over and over again but i can't imagine what it would be like to be seeing that for the first time 
you know, you grow up and you, everyone knows we've had Man on the Moon and then you, you get a little older and you watch the footage and you can appreciate it, but it's not the same as, you know, say you were a little kid, you know, who really, you're into the sci-fi space stuff and you're watching, you're watching the first man walk out on the moon and not only watching, but you're, you're, you're listening to the, uh, the audio feed as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the famous quote, what, uh, one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. <laughs> Cause I always remember that he has static, right? When he says yep. that sounds like someone's, you know, crumpling up foil right on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll go into the next one here. Uh, as well. So in 1972, we have Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, guest starring on the show All in the Family. Now, All in the Family, it was a show that it was, it really showed kind of two sides of American culture. There was um, Archie Bunker and his wife Edith, and they were, you know, cons- it was a comedy show, so there were exaggerations on both sides. I have to preface this, preface this with that. Um, and they were they were a conservative family, um, middle class family, and they were also at home. They had um, their children, uh, uh, well, their daughter Gloria and her and her husband, who also lived in the house, and <laughs> and they were not quite as conservative you know there's they were still both of them were still living at home um they you could you, you know they they had uh you know kind of left over from the uh the hippie kind of thing they were a lot more liberal and you could see that and, and the whole show was really based off their you know those two ideologies their their uh their conflicts and along with um the the conservative aspect of the show, it was kind of spoofed that that uh, Archie um, wasn't necessarily um, <laughs> how do I say it? wasn't necessarily one hundred percent okay with minorities. Um, there was never anything big in the show, um, you know, no, you know, nothing derogatory or anything like that. But you could just tell it was kind of played upon that it w- it was implied that you know it it was just kind of playing the time, and uh, that was big when they had Sammy Davis Jr. on the show. And one of the biggest uh, pieces of that entire show when uh, Sammy Davis, who was playing himself, um, uh, was in the uh, the bunker household. Um, he had left his, and Archie Bunker was a cab driver at the time, and he had, uh, Sammy Davis had left his briefcase in Archie's cab, and so he had to come back and get it, and the big scene from the show was Sammy Davis Jr. leaning over and kissing Archie on the cheek. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So he wanted, and and the whole premise of this was he wanted a, he wanted a photo with his friend Archie. And so he's like, oh, okay, we'll take a photo. And he leans over and gives him a big old kiss. And so that's kind of, uh, kind of known as one of the, the, the funniest kisses in TV history. Um, and, (laughs) and it was just one of those things, you know, I mean, there was no animosity or anything like that, but it was just, it was something different. 
for the time period and and also and you know in addition to the to to uh sammy davis being black i mean it was a man kissing another man which was you know that was part <laughs> of the funniest of the show because archie you could the look on his face you know you could he was just all kinds of surprised <laughs> i know and, and it makes me it makes me laugh so much because I, I really hope it, like behind the scenes it was all um improv and here comes Sammy Davis is kissing him on the cheek, you know, when there was just supposed to be a regular scene. <laughs> right, but, right. But uh, who, who knows, because it got a really big laugh. Um, yeah, it's always but, hard to tell I mean, how it's set up. Yeah. And we, we've <laughs> even talked about the influence that Sammy Davis has had. Sammy Davis. <laughs> Sammy, Sammy Davis has had when it comes to the racial barrier um, throughout the decades. Because being a part of the Rat Pack, you know, and, and having the backing of Frank Sinatra really kind of put him out there in the limelight and being a you know colored musician in that aspect of um, American entertainment, he really just broke bounds. And then um, we talked about earlier, like him uh, converting to Jewism and um, Judaism <laughs> and uh, marrying oh a white. God. <laughs> Gosh dang, I'm screwing up all over the place. And um, you know, right. marrying a, a white woman as well. So, but anyway, what the show really reminds me of, if anybody um, has watched or has seen, um, the Last Man Standing with Tim Allen. Oh. This show really reminds me of like a modern aspect. Oh yeah, of uh, yep. of All in the Family. <laughs> yeah, and you know that's, that's <laughs> something you don't see a whole lot, you know, either. You don't you don't see the uh, um that aspect of of life. You know, you see a lot of uh, city kind of stuff. You know, more kind of moderate, um, liberal kind of uh, kind of shows, and you you don't really ever see it from you know that that conservative Republican kind of viewpoint, which, um, it, it's, you know, it's a good show by itself, but you know, it's really refreshing and it's really, you know, it's not the same as every other cookie cutter show. Yeah. So running out the show, we've talked about Nixon a little bit. Um, and we'll end the show on a high note of <laughs> Nixon. Um, it was Nixer, Nixon, um, resigning in 1974. So, um, pretty much television, television was, uh, how video killed the political star, um, <laughs> the cover-up following the break at uh, break-in at the Democratic um, campaign headquarters um, in the Watergate Hotel was such a small story that didn't even um, jeopardize Nixon's re-election back in November of 1972. Two years later, come to find out, the Watergate hearings broadcast daily by the um, by you know the major news networks made it clear that the conspiracy extended all the way straight to the Oval Office of Richard Nixon. So originally they didn't think Nixon was even involved. Um, so after this, as it just kind of gained speed, went into um, the American people's living rooms, um, it, Nixon pretty much thought to himself, rather than face humiliation, went on television on August 8, 1974, gave a 16-minute speech in which he resigned the presidency um, the following afternoon, he bid farewell to his staff and departed via the presidential helicopter. I mean, no way better way to get out than a uh, presidential helicopter, but um, <laughs> yeah. said, peace, I screwed up, and here I go. And then um, the biggest thing is is when um, his arms are raised with his hands in V for a victory pose for the photographers and TV <laughs> cameras with a smile on his face and, uh, I am not a crook. <laughs> That's all he. That's all he can say. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and you see that picture all over the place, and you know that that has kind of been spoofed, you know, later on as well. But you know, I have to go back to video killed the the political or the politician, whatever political political star. P- 
political star. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think you just heard the title of the show. <laughs> <laughs> just like that's oh my god, <laughs> that was a that's good perfect. One. <laughs> we're I mean we're even seeing that today. <laughs> but uh, oh, th- that yeah. could be a whole other topic. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness, yes, it could be. Um, and th- that's kind of it. you know you you think about it. Not only can television, you know, it, it'll kind of boost your position in the uh, political realm. You know, more of a public figure. People know your face. They know how you talk. They know your facial expressions. Um, and you can really you can get it more into the American home. Well, on the other side of that, it's can also help expose a lot of things that you might not really want exposed, and could <laughs> could um, you know hurt your career in the long run, as we saw with Richard Nixon. I am not a crook. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for tuning in for Young Nostalgia. This is installment number one of the influential moments in telebroadcasting, beginning from the very beginning in 1951 with Harry Truman and ending with Richard Nixon leaving the scene. And we'll pick up next week, starting with the big miracle of the Civil War, which was when the U.S. beat the Soviet Union on the ice this is young nostalgia feel free to check us out on podbean youngnostalgia.podbean.com you'll see all of our blog posts and episode posts on there as well check out our badges for our facebook and twitter accounts like us um, and you'll see more posts of what we're doing and promotions for the show on there as well check us out on itunes and google play please 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 Um, share rate and subscribe on itunes it'll be a huge boost for us and it means a lot to get your feedback if you guys got any ideas for a future show or want to give us feedback email us at youngnostalgia2017 at gmail.com also keep an eye out we're looking to get on stitcher hopefully that happens soon yep very anything else big guy uh nope i do not just stay tuned for part two it's going to be another great episode Yeah, man, we're pumped, as we always say here on Young Nostalgia. Keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. Take care, everybody.